Hello, welcome to the Recovery Playbook, brought to you by the Menninger Clinic, a national leader in mental health and addictions treatment. We're your hosts, Dr. Daryl Shorter. And I'm Ryan Leaf. Our goal is to elevate conversation about substance use and addictions for anyone who may be impacted, including family members. Our episodes will share real issues and the latest treatments and matters of interest to the recovery community. What's today's topic? When do you know that you're ready for treatment? Okay. How did you know? Anytime anybody else comes to you to talk to you about your behavior around it, mm. that's when you're ready. It is. That's plain and simple. Okay. That's when you're ready. So when someone expresses concern to you. Yes, because you have blinders to it. You usually are prescribed it, in my case, of an opioid from a doctor because of an injury. Yeah. I've had 15 surgeries. This is what was next. If he would have come to me and say there are symptoms such as 12 years later from now, you may want to break into houses to uh, fulfill your habit. You know, Maybe I have a different approach to what, how I look right, at right. things. That might be a clue. So I, I think anytime someone else sees something and says something, yeah. but that doesn't happen that often. Okay. Because people are fearful, worried, should I be doing this? Right. Does he have a problem? All the things that go into it. Um, that's, that's probably when I, uh, and I think if you're honest with yourself and you see yourself in the mirror every day, um, I knew a long time before that. I just, I was not, I couldn't do it on my own. Hmm. I think that's a big part of it too, that I couldn't do it on my own. I had to be intervened with. And uh, most people are that way. The ones that are able to do it on their own, is they are miracles yeah. in my eyes because I just, um, people are fearful that they'll lose their job. Um, also, one of the biggest misconceptions, and I hate this one, and this is what stigma is, uh, it simply is the unwillingness to get the help that you need mm -hmm. because in your eyes, it's worse than someone knowing That's that right. you need help. Yeah. It's interesting when they like survey people who are, uh, either in recovery or who have a substance use disorder, one of the major barriers to accessing care or getting treatment, it turns out, is this belief that you have to do it on your own. Mm -hmm. This belief that treatment doesn't work and that there's no nothing that can be helpful for you. And and I think that we kind of play into that, unfortunately, uh, in, in, in the medical community and maybe even perhaps in the recovery community with this idea that, oh, well, I've got to do this all by myself. I can't, I can't possibly take a medicine for this or I can't possibly go to psychotherapy or engage in treatment for this. Well, I think that's the stigma. Yeah. And it's existed forever. I think in the 80s when, you know, the, the Reagans, unfortunately, um, you know, just say no to drugs campaign. Mm. Uh, affected uh, culture in a way that made people firmly look at drug addicts and people who dealt with substance use disorder as flawed um, problems. That's right. And so if that's the case, you are taught that, like anybody who's raised. You don't come out of the womb thinking this way. You are taught these things, and um, that belief is a cultural thing that we live in. So when you hear someone goes to treatment, everybody's whispering and it's kind of gossip behind the scenes instead of someone coming out and saying, did you hear that Lucy went to treatment? Yeah. How uh, Lucy went to treatment. Right. They're not at, like, right. she has cancer. She was able to get into this unbelievably new uh, radical testing. Exactly. And she's getting the help that she needs. And that's, that's the difference in the light that needs to be shined on it. And when people understand that about treatment facilities like that, um, 
I think I've told you this. I, I, I believe that if you're going to college, that uh, after you graduate from college, you should be required to go to 30 days of treatment. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't go to college after high school, go to 30 days of treatment. And people look at me like, what are you talking about? I was like, when would you ever spend 30 days on yourself in self-improvement? No, never, ever. never. And I think that that really speaks to like this, this other issue of, of, of raising the bottom so that people don't necessarily have to hit rock bottom. They don't have to lose everything before they access care, before they make a decision to do something different with their lives. Yeah, that's a, that's a big uh, controversy because of the stigma. Oh, right? yeah. The idea that you could preempt something. Well, turns out my grandfather had an uh, alcohol issue that I didn't know about, mm. right? So there may have been a predisposition for me to have that. And as an athlete who had a bit of OCD in terms of how I prepared and how I focused and all those things, it's, it's now when I look back on it, I'm like, it's a no-brainer. Oh, that's a natural kind of fit. Um, and I was really bougie about it. Like, I didn't drink a lot of alcohol. I never tried another drug other than mm. the one that was prescribed. It worked for me, so I knew that was what yeah, 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 yeah. worked. And so, as we're seeing now with a lot of things that, that have been killing Americans, which, of course, has been overdoses, but another big thing is heart disease yeah. and diabetes. Right. And those things are started to be effectively changed by, you know, a, uh, uh, a drug uh, to help with that, ozempic, uh, uh, semaglutide, yep, yep, uh, yep. That, that allows for that to effectively change what the brain does. And this is a brain disease, That's and they all are brain. brain diseases. Vivitrol, which we talked about uh, in an episode previously, is a drug that blocks these opiate receptors. Mm -hmm. If you are meeting with your doctor and you talk to him about certain things and maybe some cravings that you start to feel, wouldn't it be amazing if the doctor preemptively could go, hey, I would like to prescribe you this drug. It's Vivitrol. It blocks your opiate receptors. And, um, and so it, you won't crave something that you may in the future. That's exactly right. And I don't see where that's a problem other than the fact that people talk about the pharmaceutical um, generation of our country and how everything can be fixed with a pill. That's right. You know, you eat too much, you eat too much fat. Here's some cholesterol medicine. Yeah. Keep doing it. But I think people, there's something, I think, in our culture where we are okay with the idea of people being punished for their bad decisions. Yeah. And I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot more where essentially a lot of what we have come to believe about alcohol use, substance use more broadly, really is informed by generations and millennia of of religious and moral thinking mm -hmm. uh you know this idea that to consume any sort of substance like alcohol to consume any sort of stuff of substance that like a drug is actually sinful it's actually you're doing harm to your temple and you know your temple doesn't belong to you actually it belongs to a higher power and so you are defiling your temple by ingesting sugar or caffeine right. or whatever the thing is and I think it's really hard for someone to go from understanding alcohol use or substance use as a sin, or where you are defiling your temple, to then leaping to the idea that alcohol use disorder or substance use disorder is a medical condition. Mm -hmm. That's a big leap for people to have to make. So what you mean to tell me that this person using drugs, well, that's bad, but then they develop an addiction and all of a sudden I'm supposed to feel sorry for them because they have a, a, a disease or a medical condition. For lots of people, simply does not compute. Well, for probably half the country, it doesn't. Easily. You know, <laughs> so and yeah. it's, uh, 
That's why it's obviously contentious whenever discussed because people still believe it's not a disease. That's they right. believe it's a choice. That's right. Um, Much like with obesity, like you mentioned, yeah. people do not believe that obesity is a chronic medical condition. They believe that it is something that someone has done to themselves. And therefore, why should they take a medication for it? Like you don't deserve to take a medicine for it. You should do all of these other things and exercise and, you know, because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Your brain, by the time, by the time your stomach is too full, your brain finally has the chance to tell you. Yeah. What if there was a drug that could tell your brain when your stomach was full? Well, it turns out now there kind of is. There is. And it's incredibly impactful. And if you're telling me that um, a doctor can prescribe me a medication uh, with my predisposition to, to crave opioids um, in, the, in the hopes that I you know, do not take my bottom to the very bottom, which was a prison cell floor, that it is much higher, that it is, uh, when confronted with it, can look at it as like, oh my gosh, I, I was diagnosed with substance use disorder. Yeah. Um, but we caught it early. That's right. You know, it's like how we talk about cancer. They caught it early. That's right. So now we have a treatment plan in place. So funny that you bring this up. There has been a recent discussion in the addiction science, addiction treatment world about the concept of pre-addiction. Uh, this was uh, something that was proposed by several brilliant minds in, in, in addiction medicine and addiction psychiatry, including uh, the director of the National Institute of Drug Abuse, Nora Volkoff. And they have been writing about this concept of pre-addiction, which it is akin to pre-diabetes. Now, uh, I usually will, will jokingly say to people, pre-diabetes didn't exist when I was in medical school. Right. Turns out that it's a relatively recent phenomenon for us to talk about pre-diabetes. It's about 21, 22 years old. I'm dating myself. And uh, But what has pre-diabetes done for people? It helps you to understand that well, if I have prediabetes, I have this predisposition to going on to develop diabetes, I can make certain changes in my lifestyle. I can diet or I can exercise or I can change my relationship to sugar and salt and all the other things that taste really, really good. But the same thing could be possible for people if we understand pre-addiction. So pre-addiction meaning that maybe there are it's more like a mild substance use disorder where people are beginning to experience some of those consequences like maybe my family has concerns about my substance use. And that might be the sign that something deeper is in play and I need to seek treatment of some kind. Maybe that's counseling. Maybe it's going for walks. It could be mindfulness. It could be any number of things. This part of the part of the of the of the response to pre-addiction has not quite been worked out yet because it's such a new concept. But just think about what that could do for people to understand that pre-addiction exists and that there are some things that I could do to change my lifestyle that might make it less likely that I go on to develop full-blown addiction. I find too that this generation uh, tends to be more about the why. Mm. So they may be more receptive. When you go in and get a blood test and you see the AC1 number. A1C. Sorry. You want to see the A1C number, you understand what the pre-diabetes looks like. And that I was in that spot. I had a, a number that was just below what people are considering where uh, diabetes starts. Yeah. And so you tend to go uh, and try to take action when you have a why. That's exactly the same concept yeah. that we could see I'm with play you on this with pre-addiction. It's still very new. Lots of research is still uh, necessary for us to better understand what constitutes pre-addiction, how you intervene in cases of pre-addiction, but I think it could be really helpful for the field moving things forward. I do too. I'm excited for that. And uh, if you keep listening and watching here on the Recovery Playbook, you're going to hear more about 
all these new things. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.